It's Thanksgiving, and you know what that means. Pumpkin pie and mashed potatoes and a bunch of insufferable leftist think pieces preparing liberals to suffer the torture of speaking to a single conservative even once, even one they're related to, even for just a couple hours. However, however, can we possibly expect liberals to talk to their crazy Republican uncles at the dinner table? Well, as a crazy right-wing uncle myself, we will examine how liberals talk about talking to us. Then President Trump pardons turkeys and CNN spreads lies about our brave forefathers who sailed on the Mayflower and founded America. We will correct the Thanksgiving record. And as if Thanksgiving weren't hard enough for her already, lie Watha Liz Warren gets some bad polling news heading into the holiday. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. How are they going to do it? How are our poor left-wing relatives possibly going to endure the torture and suffering of having to speak to conservative relatives at the Thanksgiving table? That is the question posed by left-wing outlets every single year. This year from Alternet, how to talk impeachment with your right-wing uncle over the holidays. That's me, by the way. They're right. That entire piece is about me. The Independent, how to deal with your Trump-loving uncle this holiday season. Market Watch, this is from Market Watch Opinion, how to win every economic and political argument with your family this Thanksgiving. Now, Market Watch, in their headline, they try to make it seem like it's balanced, like it could go either for the left or for the right. But then you read the article, you realize it's all just about how to deal with your crazy conservative uncle. It's all just about how to refute right-wing arguments. Say, also from Market Watch, how to talk about the economy with your family at Thanksgiving. Same thing. It seems like it's balanced, but it's actually just about how to refute conservatives. That piece begins, if your uncle corners you at Thanksgiving dinner, you know, corners you, like all us conservative uncles do, and starts talking about how the U.S. economy is the best it's ever been, what should you do? How should you respond? Beyond the think pieces, Bernie Sanders himself has some advice on how to deal with your conservative uncle at Thanksgiving. If you're going home and you know getting nervous about arguing with your mom or your dad or your aunt or your uncle, I think the point to be made is that what we are fighting for, the values that we are fighting for, are really not new values. I mean, they go back literally thousands of years. The right that we treat each other the way we want to be treated. That's what we want to do. We want to treat each other the way that we want to be treated. But it's, it's all, think about the premise of this. The premise is you're nervous about talking to your mom or your dad or your uncle because they might be conservative and you've never talked to any conservative. So how on earth are you possibly going to do that? Well, you've got it so, so important. How about in the past from the LA Times? What to do if your crazy right-wing uncle comes to Thanksgiving? What to do if he comes to Thanksgiving? You're hoping that the conservative relatives don't even show up. They're not even expected in polite society. They shouldn't be here at all. But if they do, oh, you got to deal with that. You got to deal with having a relative who has a different political view than yours. Here's how you can talk to him. Salon Magazine, how to argue with right-wing relatives, how to argue with them. That's what Thanksgiving's all about, is picking fights with your right-wing relatives. Mother Jones, you won't change your cranky conservative uncle in one dinner conversation. That old crank, you know, that old cranky conservative. New York Times, how to have a conversation with your crazy uncle over the holidays. Are conservatives really the angry ones here? Are conservatives really the crazy ones, the crazed ones? Because if I, if I, all I had to go on were just those headlines from all those 
newspapers and magazines and Bernie Sanders, if that's all I had to go on, I would say it's actually the leftists that are the angry ones. I would say the only people who seem crazed here are the left-wingers. You'll notice that you never see articles the other way around. I have seen scores, if not hundreds of articles, probably hundreds, that say how to deal with your crazy Republican uncle. I don't know that I've ever seen an article that says how to deal with your crazy liberal niece. If Maybe one or two, maybe. I don't even have any recollection of that. It only goes in one direction. It's advice for liberals on how to deal with their conservative relatives. And it always describes the conservative relatives as crazed and angry, but that's because the left projects. Whatever's true of them, they project onto others. Why all the articles? Why do the articles only go in one direction? They need the articles because they actually can't refute our arguments. We will get into this a little bit more. We'll get into the real studies on whether or not people fight over the Thanksgiving dinner table on politics. First, I've got to thank our friends over at Last Coat. Let me tell you, I live in LA, so it doesn't rain here a whole lot. When it does rain, it is like the floodgates are opening and it's it's like I'm Noah in the ark. Very important, especially this time of year, to protect your car from water, from dirt. We get a lot of that in LA, from salt. We get a lot of that from the sun. We get a lot of that. All of these things can combine and rot away your car. You, know, you just don't want that. It doesn't look good. It's not good for the car. That's why I want to tell you about The Last Coat. It is a proprietary, versatile, and durable, all-in-one, easy-to-use, all-surface, do-it-yourself coating that gives cars a slick, mirror-like finish in minutes. It looks so good. Also, it's very good for glass, vinyl, leather, stainless steel countertops, electronic screens, you know, that black mirror, most fabrics, a lot more. It's, it's an unbelievable product. It's also a great gift idea, especially for that car lover in the family. You know, sometimes it's a little hard to pick out a, a gift for dad or for uncle, maybe your crazy uncle at the dinner table. This thing is so great. It, almost certainly they don't have it. They, you know, this is a pretty, pretty new technology. It creates a protective shell on your car that protects the car from UV rays, road salt, abrasive soaps, extreme temperatures, which happens a lot around this time of year, and more. The protection and coating lasts for up to six months, got thousands of five-star reviews online, so you don't just need to take my word for it. 100% made in the USA, 365-day money-back guarantee, and for a limited time, my listeners get a 25% discount on a 16-ounce bottle of The Last Coat. It is the most durable, all-surface do-it-yourself coating technology on the market. Get the best. For reference, an average-sized car only takes one or two ounces for full coverage. It's amazing stuff. Take advantage of the 25% discount. Go to thelastcoat.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Then, once you get there, type in Knowles25 at checkout. That is thelastcoat.com slash Knowles. Type in Knowles25 at checkout to get 25% off. The Last Coat is a great gift idea for the car enthusiast in your family. Thelastcoat.com slash Knowles, Knowles25 at checkout. Take full advantage of this limited time offer. Why do leftists need all of these think pieces? Why do they need help talking to their conservative uncle at the dinner table? The reason is they don't know how to refute our arguments. We don't need articles about how to talk to leftists because we talk to leftists all the time. We talk to leftists every single day in corporate America, at the university, when we get 
go to the movies, when we go watch TV, when we read the newspaper, we are aware of left-wing arguments. If we persist in our conservatism, it's because we've answered them. We know how to refute them. The left doesn't do that. And actually, moreover, the left needs the articles because they don't even understand our arguments. They don't know what our arguments are. John Haidt, the social scientist, did a study a number of years ago, which showed that conservatives, generally speaking, understand liberal arguments. But liberals do not understand conservative arguments. They just don't really get where we're coming from. And so to the left, we seem cranky and crazy and angry. It just doesn't make any sense to them. Therefore, they can read these articles and try to figure out at least some way how to even grasp what we're getting at. Um, Obviously, they're not going to do a very good job at refuting our arguments. That's why they need a new article every single year. But then the question is, why bring it up at all? Who wants to talk about politics at the Thanksgiving dinner table? These hardcore leftists have to talk about politics at the dinner table because they don't have religion. What is Thanksgiving? We'll get into the history of Thanksgiving in a second. Thanksgiving is when you come together as a family and you give thanks to God for all of the blessings that you share. The first Thanksgiving was shared by the Native American Indians in America and the pilgrims who came from England through Leiden to Plymouth and they were giving thanks to God. These were Christian zealots for all the blessings that they had. That's what we are recreating every year on Thanksgiving. The left doesn't have traditional religion, and so for the left, politics is religion. And so just as we would practice our Christian religion at at the Thanksgiving table and give thanks to God and to Providence and just enjoy all the blessings we have, so too the left must proselytize their own false and political religion. But despite all the left-wing think pieces, it turns out Most people don't get into fights at the Thanksgiving dinner table over politics. There was a study that came out just a couple years ago. Huffington Post YouGov survey showed that, do you know how many Americans say that they get into fights at the dinner table? 3%. 3% of Americans say that it is very likely that they will get into a political fight at the Thanksgiving dinner table. 8% say it's somewhat likely. That's it. That's all. 3% at the most, 8%. Most of us are having a good time, but the the people who are not having a good time, the people who are getting into these fights, are the most hardcore leftists who write at Alternet and the New York Times and the LA Times and Huffington Post. Very sorry for them. Very sad sort of state of affairs for for them. But the rest of us are going to have a very good Thanksgiving. Speaking of a good Thanksgiving, you know, I caught a little bit of flack yesterday because I opposed President Trump's uh, decision to turn animal cruelty from a state crime to a federal crime, and I opposed it on federalist grounds, and I just thought it was kind of an inverted way to look at the moral order. So I caught some flack. People said, I don't like animals. Well, let me tell you something. I'm a big fan of animals, especially the ones I get to eat at the Thanksgiving table, but I actually support President Trump's decision yesterday to have some leniency on animals and to pardon the two Thanksgiving turkeys, bread and butter. He did an absolute great job at the pardon. Here he is. Thankfully, bread and butter have been specially raised by the Jacksons to remain calm under any condition, which will be very important because they've already received subpoenas to appear in Adam Schiff's basement on Thursday. It's true. Hundreds of people have. It seems the Democrats are accusing me 
of being too soft on Turkey. But bread and butter, I should note that unlike previous witnesses, you and I have actually met. It's very unusual. Very unusual. In any event, I expect this pardon will be a very popular one with the media. After all, turkeys are closely related to vultures. I don't know if I like that line, but there is a little truth to it. <laughs> I love him. I just love him. I'm so, I can't help it. When he does things like that, I just love the guy. Even down to, he's, he's got all these lines, right? The making fun of Adam Schiff, making fun of the whole impeachment inquiry, how at least he's met the turkeys, unlike most of the other witnesses. And then he gets that last line about the media being like vultures. And that, that classic show business of Trump kicks in. He says, I don't know if I like that line. That's a little bit weak, but whatever. I guess it's true. He's just so, what you see is what you get. It's so authentic, really funny, great way to use the turkey pardoning tradition. So I, I not only support the pardon, for the turkeys, for these turkeys, bread and butter. I do support the, the tradition overall. We'll get into a little bit of how that started, what it means, why it's great for politics. Then so much more to get to on the history of Thanksgiving. First, I got to thank our friends over at Movement. I knew that it was time to get to this because I have a very sleek Movement watch. Black Friday is here and Movement watches are having the biggest sale of the year. For a limited time only, every single thing at MVMT.com, movement.com, is on sale. That's hundreds of premium watches, blue light glasses, sunglasses, jewelry styles, with a fresh new discount just in time for the holidays, and all of your gift-giving needs. I will tell you, last year, I bought all sorts of presents for my family. And luckily, because we've got a good, good partnership with Movement, I was able to get a discount on some Movement products. So I got two watches. Got a couple watches for my family. I gave a watch to my father last year. I thought, okay, we'll see. You know, you like the show. Hopefully you like the watch. I obviously like my watch. This was the best gift I gave all year. It went over so well because it's a fabulous gift. You know, movement watches are designed in-house. They are extremely sleek, clean. They won't break the bank. I've gotten more comments on my movement watch than any other watch I've ever owned. Same thing is true of my dad. Same thing is true of other family members. Movement watches are an affordable option, clean design, minimal, really, really high quality stuff. Movement has sold almost 2 million watches in over 160 countries. 2 million people can't be wrong. Shop their biggest sale of the year right now at MVMT.com. Use code HOLIDAY19 at checkout and get free shipping and free returns by going to MVMT.com. Code HOLIDAY19. Trust me, you are going to be a hero this holiday season with a movement. MVMT.com. Join the movement. So... Trump pardoned the turkey, part of a great tradition. This began, the turkey pardoning at the White House began actually as part of a lobbying campaign well over half a century ago because the Truman administration wanted to conserve resources, so they were promoting meatless Tuesdays and poultryless Thursdays. That last one doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? They could have done meatless Mondays. That at least has alliteration, but they didn't. Meatless Tuesdays, poultryless Thursdays. And poultryless Thursdays coincides with Thanksgiving, so people were very upset. So the industry in 1947 presented Truman with a turkey as a gift to promote the industry. Now, this didn't technically begin the turkey pardon tradition because Truman did not pardon the turkey. He killed the turkey and cooked it and ate it because back in those days, Americans were real men. JFK then 
Well, actually, Eisenhower then continued the tradition. So Eisenhower continued the tradition of re- receiving the turkeys. He also did not pardon them. He ate the delicious turkeys. You get to JFK. JFK, Democrat, started the tradition of not eating the turkey in 1963. Interestingly, he pardoned the first turkey. He didn't call it a pardon, but he decided not to eat it four days before his own assassination. And that was the beginning of this trend. But it was not a pardon because what JFK did was he took the bird, sent it back to the farm, and he said, quote, we'll let this one grow. So it wasn't a part, it was a reprieve so that he could fatten the turkey up more and eat it next year. Unfortunately, he never had the chance to. Then Nixon uh, administration comes along. Nixon let a few turkeys go. Then Carter refused to even accept the turkeys. He was so hoity-toity. He thought it was a ridiculous tradition. He wouldn't even accept the gift. The first president to pardon a turkey, the Gipper, good old Ronald Reagan. He obviously had a good relationship with the animal kingdom. He was friends with Bonzo from that wonderful movie, Bedtime for Bonzo. So he let the turkey go. And this was all show business, just like you saw with President Trump. Trump uses the turkey pardon and the media circus around it to push his agenda on impeachment. Reagan started that tradition, that show business tradition, by using the turkey pardon to take attention off of the Iran-Contra scandal. This was in 1987, I guess. And he joked about the turkey pardon because there was a question over whether he would pardon Oliver North during that time. So he he used a sort of lighthearted pardon to take attention off of that. So Reagan pardons the turkey. Bush one enjoyed the turkey pardoning tradition. Clinton pardoned a couple turkeys. And then since Bush two, Bush, Obama, and Trump, they've all pardoned a turkey every single year. I think it's great. I love the tradition. Uh, You know, I tend to be a little old school. I like things that are old more than things that are new. I think modernity is really rotting out society. But sometimes traditions grow over time and the newer idea is better than the older idea. I love the idea of pardoning the turkey once a year. It's one way to come together in politics and not just be shrill and angry all the time and get a few good digs in at your political opponents. Not everybody loves Thanksgiving, unfortunately. I love it because I'm an American four of my ancestors sailed on the Mayflower. One of them was a pilgrim. I love the holiday. uh, CNN doesn't love it. The left doesn't love it. CNN actually ran a piece about how everything we think we know about Thanksgiving is wrong and how actually the leftist revisionist history is right. And what they're banking on is that nobody knows the actual history of Thanksgiving, but they're wrong because I've been very interested in the history of Thanksgiving for most of my life. It's not just CNN. I mean, various universities have been teaching classes on this in recent weeks. Here is the revisionist history being pushed by CNN. Let's see why it's wrong about our forefathers on the Mayflower. Most of American history depicts a hospitable first Thanksgiving. 1621 grateful pilgrims in the New World offer a warm invitation to Usamequin and members of his Wampanoag tribe. But the chairman of the Mashpee Wampanoags calls that depiction a myth. You know, we sent 90 men over to the first settlers to see why they were shooting guns and practicing arms to say, hey, what are you preparing for? And they were preparing for some kind of war to take our people down. And so we sat down with them to have a discussion and let their let a feast. None of that is true. None of that is true. I also love the, the whole idea. We sent our people over to the Mayflower. I don't know. Did we send our people over to Plymouth from Leiden? I don't know. I don't think so. We're talking about historical experiences and what they're setting up here. 
the, what CNN and this speaker is setting up here is the idea that the, the natives were so terrified. They were so afraid. They were just trying anything to broker a peace, but then pilgrims wouldn't give them a peace. And it was a tense, fraught Thanksgiving. Total BS. Not true. The Wampanoag Indians allied with the English intentionally and out of their own interest. Actually, without the English, there would have been no such thing as the Wampanoag Nation. So our best ally that we had, our best ally, when we sailed on the Mayflower and landed at Plymouth, the, the best ally of the Englishman was a, a Poconocet sachem named Massasoit. Massasoit was a Poconocet and his tribe had been devastated by smallpox in years before that. When the English arrived, Massasoit sent Squanto. Squanto was a Patuxet Indian who was being held as prisoner by Massasoit. He sent Squanto to help broker an alliance. Why did Massasoit send Squanto? Because Squanto, talk about the hand of providence on the sailing of the Mayflower and the founding of America. Squanto was possibly the only Native American in the entire Western Hemisphere to have a command of the English language. Why is that? Because Squanto had lived in Spain and England and he'd been captured by, uh, by explorers, brought to Spain. He was as a slave in Spain. Franciscan monks bought Squanto, freed Squanto, m- almost certainly baptized him a Catholic, which is very funny that a Catholic Indian would be the one to help save the Puritan pilgrims. Story for another time. He's freed. They then put him on a ship, get him to, to London. Uh, Squanto lived in London, actually talked with the pilgrims about the various streets of London, sails back to the New World, somehow hops a ship, and makes it back to his old people, the Patuxets. The Patuxet tribe is totally wiped out. He makes it down to the Poconok at Massasoit. He's then held captive there. And then the pilgrims land at Plymouth accidentally. They were trying to sail to Manhattan. They get blown off course. They land exactly where the only Indian who speaks English fluently, who is a Catholic, who understands their religion and their native country, happens to be, and Squanto brokers a peace. If you don't believe in providence because of that, I don't know what other evidence I could possibly show you. But Squanto brokering that peace was a huge advantage to Massasoit, because Massasoit and the, the Poconocet Indians were not just some helpless victims here. They were not being just absolutely destroyed and oppressed by the English. Massasoit used the English to his own advantage. He created an alliance to help him oppose the Narragansett Indians, and he actually established, through that alliance with the English, the Wampanoag Nation that this guy on CNN is pretending was a victim of the English pilgrims. The Wampanoag Nation would not have existed without the English. How did the peace break down? How will CNN try to break down the history? We'll get to that in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at ExpressVPN. You know, hackers are not just going after media companies like ours, like the Daily Wire, okay? It's not just these big companies. They are going after everyone who has their data on the internet. ExpressVPN is the software that I and thousands of my fans use to protect our data online. In the time since I started using ExpressVPN, just just in that period of time, hacking methods have grown more sophisticated. So at The Daily Wire, we put a lot of money into cybersecurity, all right? And that's because we are regularly the target of attacks. We have a whole IT department, right? How about for an individual internet user? For an individual internet user, you don't need an IT department to protect you from online threats. You almost certainly couldn't have your own IT department. 
But what you do need, what will protect you, is ExpressVPN. I've been talking about ExpressVPN on my show for so long, you probably already understand why encrypting your network data is so important. Some of you still have not acted. Why not? Well, it's probably because you think, like I used to think, security threats don't affect you personally. But they do. Not using ExpressVPN is like leaving your front door unlocked every time you go out. Sure, yeah, nothing might happen for years and years. But when that break-in does happen, it is absolutely devastating. And listen, if you're listening to this show right now, you probably look at some pretty questionable material on the internet in that old incognito window. You know what I'm talking about? Dailywire.com. One of the easiest ways to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. Click one button on your computer or your smartphone, you are protected from bad actors who want your information. It's absolutely terrific, absolutely essential. Get expressvpn.com right now. With my special link, expressvpn.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, you get an extra three months of protection for free. Protect your internet today with the VPN that I trust to keep my data safe. Go to expressvpn.com slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, to get started. So unlike what CNN is telling you, unlike what the leftists are telling you, the first interaction of the English with the Native Americans is quite fruitful. It's quite an important alliance. Actually, the peace that they had brokered almost broke down. It almost broke down because the English were too nice to Squanto. Massasoit wanted to recapture and and kill Squanto. The English protected Squanto from being killed by Massasoit. This almost destroyed their alliance, but it survived. And then by the way, the pilgrims saved Massasoit's life too. So Massasoit would have died in 1623 because he became very, very ill. He was on his deathbed. The pilgrims, to save their friend Massasoit, sent Edward Winslow. Winslow went to visit him. Massasoit called out. This is recorded with great trustworthiness. He called out, is it Winslow? Winslow, I shall never see you again. So Winslow comes in. The guy's on his deathbed. He can, he can't, can barely speak. He's losing his sight. And Winslow gave him some Western medicine. He then scraped out Massasoit's mouth and he made him a chicken broth. After a few days, Massasoit recovered. As thanks for this, Massasoit told the pilgrims that the Massachusetts Indians were going to attack them and they were going to attack the English colony at Wessagusset. So as a result of this, Miles Standish of the Plymouth Colony and Massasoit's forces united, fought off the Massachusetts Indians, and expanded Massasoit's power considerably and saved the English colonies. You know, the left-wing history of this makes it seem like the Indians were just like these helpless children. They weren't. They were real people. They were real adults. They had real political strategies that worked out very well with the pilgrims. CNN goes on. Some elders say the so-called first Thanksgiving is not worth celebrating. It's the one day out of the year when all of America bows their head and gives thanks for everything that was taken from us. 83-year-old Tall Oaks, Rhode Island home is an archive of Native American history. Amongst the books and pictures and relics is a copy of a 1970s speech written by his late friend, Wamsutta. This is what we were talking about yesterday, the difference between an attitude toward the world of entitlement and an attitude toward the world of gratitude, of duty, of obligation. Obviously, the, the people making the CNN hit have no idea about the, the real history of the Mayflower or the real history of those early days. But even consider the, the silly uh, understanding of history to say 
today is a terrible day, Thanksgiving is an awful memory, and the way that we commemorate this awful memory when the Indians lost everything and the pilgrims gained everything is we read about it in books. There wouldn't be any books without the English settlers. There wouldn't be any American history. The person who's saying this would not be speaking in English. There would be no television. There would be no world as we see it. This is not to excuse everything the English did. This is not to vilify the Native Americans. This is not to excuse periods of history. This is to point out that history is complicated. The history we're living right now, the history that our ancestors lived 400 years ago. And to just sit and whine that history happened is absurd. I mean, it it is ridiculous. It is laughable. That is a surefire way to live a miserable life. In fact, the way that, that CNN is describing this is that it was the beginning of the end. We, the Wampanoag, Wamsetta wrote, welcomed you, the white man, with open arms, little knowing that it was the beginning of the end. He said he wasn't going to change it, and so he withdrew from that. And Wamsetta, Tall Oak, and other activists of the American Indian Movement created their own event for the following Thanksgiving Day. We decided that we would declare it a national day of mourning uh, for Native people. How disrespectful to those Indians, to the, the Wampanoags and Massasoit, to suggest that they were just these naive idiots who didn't understand that various different peoples might have interests in the New World. It's not that he just, the Massasoit welcomed the pilgrims with open arms, it's that he created a strategic alliance, an alliance that endured for generations afterward, and that actually was only broken by the Native American Indians. And this is where they get to their real point. The leftists always drive this point home. It has no basis in the the reality of the pilgrim experience. They call the history of Thanksgiving genocide. We're still fighting with our very own trustee, who we had treaties with, that we agreed to have a relationship back in the 1700s. And we're still fighting that fight today to have our lands. This Thanksgiving, Tall Oak, the only surviving co-creator of the National Day of Mourning, hopes that you think less about the natives' contribution to a meal nearly 400 years ago and more about, as the plaque on the monument reads, the genocide of millions of their people, the theft of their land, and the relentless assault on their culture. It was a terrible way to show your gratitude after you've been given everything to make you uh, make it possible for you to survive. Again, completely fictitious history. Massasoit died a friend of the pilgrims. This alliance between the pilgrims and the local Native Americans, at least the Wampanoags, obviously not the Massachusetts, that the Wampanoags and the pilgrims united to fight off, the Massachusetts, or the Massachusetts rather, we weren't very good friends with. But this alliance between the Wampanoags and the Pilgrims endured not just for Massasoit's lifetime, not just for Squanto's lifetime. When Squanto died, he said, please, Englishmen, pray to me f- to your God. Pray for me to your God, your English God. He was a baptized Christian. Not just for the lifetime of Massasoit's son, Alexander. That's right, Massasoit gave his son an English name, a Christian name. It, it actually endured all the way through to Massasoit's grandson, Philip. And Massasoit's grandson, Philip, decided to wage war on the English based on a misunderstanding because he thought that the English had killed one of his men. He actually, the English had not done it. There was no historical evidence that they did it. And Philip waged a war that was opposed by many, many Native Americans in the region. And that war permanently ruptured the relationship between the English and the Native Americans in the region. But 
That was a, that was a war waged by King Philip. It's called King Philip's War. You can look it up. You can read about it. You're definitely not going to hear about it on CNN. You're definitely not going to hear about it in the mainstream media, which wants to obscure the real history of Thanksgiving, for which we should be, all of us, exceedingly grateful. Grateful not just for the wonderful partnership between the Wampanoags and the pilgrims, not grateful merely for the voyage of the Mayflower, but, but grateful to our God that we have all of these blessings since that, that year in 1620, when the pilgrims sailed across the ocean and began this American experiment. We've got a lot to get to. Before we get to the mailbag, I have got to point out some really good news that the president should be thankful for and conservatives should be thankful for going into Thanksgiving. There's new testimony that was released on the Ukraine issue, on the Ukraine phone call that's apparently going to get this president kicked out if the Democrats have their way. Uh, Mark Sandy, who worked at the Office of Management and Budget under President Trump, was told to withhold aid to Ukraine. Now, he was asked what reasons he was given for withholding aid from Michael Duffy, who was a Trump appointee at the Office of Management and Budget. We now have the deposition. It just came out. And Sandy recalls that the president was concerned, quote, about other countries not contributing money to Ukraine, that the reason for the withholding of aid was because, as President Trump has said from the beginning, he didn't want to contribute aid alone. He wanted other countries to chip in as well. No word of a quid pro quo. I think that's why the Democrats dumped this deposition right before Thanksgiving when no one's paying attention. Speaking of bad news for Democrats this Thanksgiving, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren always has a tough time on Thanksgiving. It brings back bad memories for her. She got some more bad news. Her poll numbers are collapsing. She went from 28% in Quinnipiac's last poll of the Democratic primary, that's good enough to be the top of the pack, to 14%. Half of her support is gone. Now, that's just one poll, but that's the poll that we've got. Why is it? It's because Americans hate her health care plan. You can see that in the crosstabs. She may have doomed her candidacy. Very, very sad news for her, but something to be thankful for all of us. We'll get to the mailbag. First, we got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. And I have to tell you right now, go to dailywire.com and do not purchase a membership to Daily Wire. Do not purchase. Why not? Is this my final stand? Am I just going to walk out of here, kick in Ben's studio door and say, I'm out of here. I don't want anyone to buy a subscription to the Daily Wire. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But you should not buy a membership today. Why? Because I have gotten word from the Daily Wire they are going to be running some incredible deals on Black Friday. And I don't want you to go there now and spend all your money and then in two days figure out that you could have saved a lot of money. I'm talking about incredibly good deals. I'm talking about could bankrupt the company deals. What that means for you is you should wait until uh, not Good Friday. <laughs> you should wait until Black Friday to join. And then you will reap the amazing rewards. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. The, the amount of money that you can save on Black Friday is wild. So make sure you wait until Black Friday and then buy your membership then. We got a lot more coming up in the mailbag. Head on over to dailywire.com and then just wait until Black Friday. We'll be right back. All right. First question from Calvin. Hi, Michael. You mentioned in a tweet a few weeks ago about how Catholics shouldn't practice yoga since it is part of the Hindu religion. 
Why is that if it's just meditation and poses? I'm not sure it actually poses a threat to the Catholic faith, but I trust your insight and judgment on the subject. Sure thing. Not just the Catholic faith, but Protestantism and and other faiths as well. If yoga were just about stretching out your body, that, that would be perfectly fine. If it were a neutral sort of meditation, that would be fine. You could do it. That does exist. That is called Pilates. Yoga is something different. Yoga involves aspects of Eastern religion. So there are all these various religious things that come with it. The ohms and the ahs and the various salutations to various sort of uh, Eastern ideas and, and religious concepts. So it's very bizarre that people do that. And I have friends of mine who say that going to yoga like that for them is like going to church. That's true in a secular society. Anything you do that's even vaguely spiritual would be uh, a substitute for church. There's nothing wrong with stretching your body. I don't do it because I don't really enjoy physical exercise, but there's nothing wrong with you stretching your body or engaging in meditation. I strongly recommend meditation. I more strongly recommend prayer, and I especially like the rosary. So there are certainly plenty of options here for that. But if you're going to engage in prayer and meditation and contemplation, and you are not a Hindu, or let's say you are a Christian, I would just recommend doing it in a Christian way. And if you want to stretch your body, just stretch it out and do Pilates. But I think the, for what many people in the West engage in as a sort of pseudo-spiritualism of yoga is a, a poor substitute for religion, and it gets you involved in certain theological concepts that, that just don't, don't go along with your stated religion. Okay, John, liberals make the argument that we should ban guns because people may be killed, while conservatives make the argument that we need to strengthen our borders because people may be killed. What do you think is the best argument to differentiate between these two? Thanks. I agree that that's the argument the liberals make for banning guns, but I don't think that's the argument that the conservatives make primarily for the border. It's a secondary argument. It is true. Killers and drug dealers and people like that will cross the border if it's porous. But the primary argument conservatives make for closing the border is that it's the law. Illegal immigration is illegal. It's not that complicated. And a country has a right to decide who comes and who goes. And a country has a right, especially in self-government, to decide who gets to use its resources, who gets to vote in its elections, and who gets to, to be here, who gets to be part of that society. Conservatives go wrong when we primarily make utilitarian arguments. You know, a, a good example of this is on socialism. You'll sometimes hear conservatives say, socialism is bad because it doesn't work people don't have a lot of money under socialism. Sure, that's all true. Feel free to make that secondary argument. Socialism is wrong because it's evil. To quote Pope Leo XIII, it's a pest. It's a plague. It tries to steal the very gospel itself. To quote Winston Churchill, it's the gospel of envy and the creed of ignorance. It is intrinsically wrong, bad, evil. That's why socialism is so bad because it deprives you of your own property. It deprives you of your own agency. It deprives you of your own freedom. Also, it's very inefficient. Also, people will have less money. Everybody will have less money under socialism. But you got to make the essential argument first. Because if you make the utilitarian argument, then you're arguing on the left's premises. And then you're going to end up in this sort of confusion where you're, you're doing leftist calculus and you'll end up at leftist policy solutions. From Mo, Michael, I see this push for anyone being able to go into whichever locker room, depending on if you feel like a man or a woman at that time. Do you think it will push in the direction of simply having co-ed restrooms and locker rooms thoughts? Uh, 
Yes, it probably will. And that is gross. Gross things happen in bathrooms. I don't want ladies around while men are doing them. And I don't want men around while ladies are doing them. It's just yucky. It's gross. We should be civilized. Come on, people. We're not animals. You don't have men and women's restrooms for pigs. You don't have men and women's restrooms for cows. You do for people because we're humans. We're civilized. Have some dignity. But we are probably moving in that direction. We've been moving in that direction for decades. Initially, you had the unisex bathroom. Unisex. That term doesn't make any sense because there are two sexes. But we've had unisex around all our lives. Then, now you have the gender-neutral bathroom. If it's a single restroom, this makes perfect sense. But what's happening now increasingly, especially in even high-end places, is you will have one generic restroom with individual stalls. Gross. And people get rid of urinals in those restrooms because there's a war on, on masculinity and manliness. So there's no, no urinals at all. It's a very bad idea. Men and women are different. We should enjoy those differences. Sexual difference makes the world a lovely place. Vive la différence. From Scott. Dear Michael, I was recently invited to go hunting for deer with a friend. I have always found that prospect intriguing, and I agree with many of the points in the pro-hunting debate. But I also understand the case that anti-hunters make. I'm interested in seeing what your view is on this topic, especially when it comes to Christianity. My fiance and I love your show. Thanks. I don't understand the case that anti-hunters make, so I would love you to enlighten me on this. I, I guess the case that people who don't like hunting make is that we shouldn't eat animals. Because if you go out and hunt your own food, it is much more ethical than partaking in factory farming. If you're going to make an ethical argument at all, certainly it's the case that killing an animal in the wild is nicer for that animal than just raising it on a factory farm where it can barely move around. So then the argument becomes about eating meat. Is it wrong to eat meat? No, it's not. We can tell from nature, from our own bodies, that we were made to eat meat. Our bodies function much better when we eat meat. Human beings thrive when we eat meat. Also, animals aren't people. This was the topic of my show yesterday. We anthropomorphize animals. We now treat animals better than we treat people in many instances. I mean, now it's a federal offense to kick a puppy, but you can kill a human baby at virtually any point of development anywhere in the country without any issue. And if you kill a human being, it's a state level crime, not a federal crime. Some people say, well, it, torturing animals is evidence that you'll grow up to be a serial killer. Sure. But you kick the puppy, you get a federal offense. If you start killing people, it's a state crime. We've totally inverted this. Animals are not people. Human beings have intellect and will. Animals do not. They have their own sort of vague shade of intellect. They're not totally inanimate objects, but they don't have free will in the way that we do. They don't have dignity in the way that we do. We should be stewards of animals. We should be kind to animals. We should never abuse animals because it dulls our own humanity. It's so undignified. It's so cruel. And that reflects poorly on us. But we should not extend to them rights. They are animals. They are made to be eaten. And they are very, very delicious. From Scott, when it comes to Hong Kong, I know left-wing sports reporters are excusing NBA woke jerks like Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, and LeBron James for supporting China. But I want to know, is there any truth that the Hong Kong protests are merely about the extradition of a man who murdered someone in Taiwan? Thanks. Nope. It's about China clamping down on possessions that it does not have total control over. Don't forget, 
Hong Kong was ruled by the British until 1997, I think it was, 1997 or 1999. At that point, it reverted back to the control of China. This was a very sad day, certainly for Hong Kong, but for the whole world. Since then, China has been trying to encroach on uh, various territories that are around it that it doesn't have total control of. They've been uh, trying to make incursions into the South China Sea. They they want to grow. They are on the rise. Their economy is exploding. They're in the WTO, the World Trade Organization. They are posing a major threat to the United States. We should oppose them. It is not the Cold War anymore. Russia is not our number one geopolitical foe. It's not right after 9-11 anymore. The Middle East is not our number one geopolitical foe, whether that be in the Taliban in Afghanistan or Saddam Hussein, who no longer exists. It's China. China is our number one geopolitical foe. We should treat them as such, and those little, little quizlings over in the NBA are, are a shame to, to sporting and also to the United States. Final question from Benedict. Michael Brickhouse Knowles, can you please give some commentary on Elizabeth Warren saying she prefers Netflix and chill over Broadway and dinner? I feel it says a lot about our current culture and politicians' willingness to pander. It does. Obviously, she's quite a panderer. She pretended to be Native American to get professional advantage for 30 years. But that does say a lot. I think most people prefer Netflix and chill over Broadway and dinner. Broadway and dinner is better. Netflix and chill is lazier. It's more slothful. It's dumber. It's it's more about the self. It brings you into yourself more because you don't have to leave your couch. Broadway and dinner brings you out into society. You see people. You interact with other people. You see a new show. Live theater conveys more than television does. You then maybe go get a drink afterward and talk about the show. It's much bigger. And life is big. Life flourishes when life is big. We have made everything just about ourselves. And when it's not just ourselves, it's our partner next to us who comes over to Netflix and chill. And usually they don't even watch the movie that much, if you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's, our life now is about our screens. It's about hunched over, looking at these tiny little screens. It should be big. The world is a big, beautiful place. Life was more beautiful when you would go to Broadway and dinner rather than just Netflix and chill. Because Netflix and chill, by the way, also just means go have sex. Sex is a great thing, but it's not all there is in life. But it's all we want to focus on. We should open ourselves up to the beauty of our country, our, the beauty of the world, and the grandness of life. Maybe we'll be able to do that and give thanks for that tomorrow on Thanksgiving. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you then. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Hold up. 